Okay, we're going to be looking at recognizing and breaking now family curses in this Bible study. Now, through the years, I've had a lot of questions about curses, and I, I know a lot of you have. You know, you've probably thought about them and wondered about them. So what I've done, I've done some research on the subject, and it was a fascinating research. It was, it was very enlightening. Well, first of all, we need to define what is a curse. Well, a curse now is any demonic assignment that has been handed down from one generation to the next. Now, I'm going to say that one more time because we need to remember what it is. It's any demonic assignment that's handed down from one generation to the next. Now, the world lives with curses, and they claim curses all the time, but they don't realize what they're doing. They don't really know that uh, <laughs> these are real. But, for instance, you've heard a lot of statements like, well, we've had a lot of history of heart disease in our family. My grandfather died of a heart attack, and so did both of his brothers, and now my, his son has a heart attack. Well, you may have heard, oh, I just, we just have a hot temper. It just runs in our family. We'll get really mad and blow up, and then we'll get over it in a hurry. Well, those are curses. They're demonic assignments now handed down from one generation to the next through the bloodline. Now, curses are very commonplace in the world. What is not commonplace is our knowledge about the curse. In other words, the world lives with them all the time. They talk about them, you know, but they don't understand them. They don't really know that it is a demonic curse. Now, even Christians many times don't know that they have authority over all of these curses, you know, and um, if they're born again. And that's why Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge of God's word. So God is constantly trying to show us how to gain more knowledge in his word. And that's why it's been fun. You know, it's almost like every 10 years we come up with new things out of the word that we start teaching. So we, can, we want to do that so we can begin to learn the victory that God intends us to have. Now I'm going to give you six Bible facts about curses. And then we're going to look at five very simple ways to overcome the curse. Okay, number one fact. So many times... We just want to know, well, where did the curse originate? How does it operate? Now, we know that sin came in through the fall of Adam, and it spread throughout the entire bloodline of all mankind. Now, we're descendants of Adam. Therefore, we all are born with a sin nature. We all understand that, but we don't really realize what all comes as a result of this sin nature because of the curse. Now, the reason I don't call it consequences to sin is because a curse is different from just sin consequences. A curse has longevity. In other words, it keeps going down the bloodline. Okay, now let me give you an example of sin consequences. I can get in the flesh, and I can slap my friend, and it's going to have some consequences. You know, I may lose a friendship over it. But it's not going to necessarily result in a curse. It's not going to do that. We'll find that every time we do something, that action is going to bring some kind of results, but not every wrong action is necessarily going to bring a curse. So we need to know the difference. Now, I can sleep crooked and wake up with a crick in my neck, or I can get a really overtired and harm my immune system and take maybe a bad cold, but those are not curses that are handed down in the bloodline. Those are just results of a bad action. But there are certain things that do result in a curse. So a curse is different than just consequences. Because a curse is alive. It actually has an evil spirit in it. It's absolutely alive. It's a spiritual demonic intervention into a family bloodline. Okay, number two fact. Every curse 
had to come through the doorway of somebody's sin. Now, there, there's a major curse that affected all mankind and affected even the earth itself. Now, that, of course, came as a result of the original sin. Now, that, of course, is listed in Genesis 3, verse 14, and we're all familiar with that one. But when we understand this original curse, it's going to help us then to be able to understand all these other, how these other curses operate. Now, we're going to find that after Adam and Eve sinned, then the Lord began to name the curses that came in because of their sin. The first curse was on the serpent. If you remember in Genesis 3, verse 14, he was going to have to crawl on his belly from then on. The next curse was on Satan, and God said there's going to be hatred between Satan's seed and the woman's seed. And God said her seed is going to finally crush his head, and the other is with Satan's authority. It says Satan will be able to bruise your heel. Okay, then the curse that came on man was in the last part of verse 17 of Genesis 3. It says, Curses shall be the ground because of you. So in toil, it says, you were going to toil all the days of your life. Uh, it's going to be hard work. Thorns and thistles are going to grow along with your crop. And you're going to have to eat the fruit of your field, but with a lot of labor. Okay, now man's curse was not that he had to work, because he had to work before the curse came in. He was working. He was tilling the ground before the fall. Now, the curse that came on man was having to make a living under the conditions of thorns and thistles. That's the curse that came on, on mankind. In other words, the elements would not always work with him. The ground would work against him as much as it would work for him. Okay, now I want you to notice, not only did sin bring a curse on those present who did the sinning, it, it came on Adam and Eve, but it also, the curse came on all the descendants. It passed down the bloodline. And that includes us. And that's why we have to learn how to fight this curse. We have to learn how to take authority over it. Now, this shows us how all curses operate. Okay, now, in addition now to the original curse that came on all mankind, there are individual curses that came as a result of disobedience. And that disobedience can be on the part of the man or the woman or even the children. Now, all these individualized curses are listed in Deuteronomy 28. Now, Deuteronomy 28 is one you need to mark in your Bible because it lists all of the curses. Now, I'm going to tell you the difference between uh, the curses in Deuteronomy 28 and the <clears throat> original curse in Genesis chapter 3. The curse back in Genesis 3 is universal. Everyone is going to be affected by that one. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, all of the animals, the serpent, Satan, even the earth itself, uh, it's all going to fall under this particular curse. It was the original sin itself, not God, but the original sin itself now is what brought on the curse and brought it onto the entire world. Okay, now that's different than the individual curses. The curses that are listed in Deuteronomy 28 will come maybe on a particular family as a result of somebody's disobedience in that family. Now, when a person walked in disobedience, what it did, it opened the door to one of the curses listed in Deuteronomy 28. And then that particular curse now is going to move down the bloodline in that particular family until someone stops it, until someone knows what to do and stops it. Now, we're not going to all have been born under every curse listed in Deuteronomy 28. Thank goodness. <laughs> we're not going to. Every one of us are under that original curse that came because of the sin of Adam and Eve. But we're not all going to 
have every curse in Deuteronomy 28, but when one of these curses in Deuteronomy 28 comes on a certain family, we're going to find out there is a reason for it. It's not just happen chance. It didn't just, oh, oh goodness, I can't believe this just happened to come on our family. There was a reason for it. If I have a curse on me, then there's, there's a cause in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, and it gives us the cause. We're going to find out that disobedience is the cause of, of the curse. Now, it may not be your sin. It could be anybody's sin up your bloodline. If they've sinned, that curse can come down the bloodline and can affect you. Okay, now, God is not the one that's sending the curse. He's never the one. He paid the price of having his son die to get the curse off of us. And even when he knew that uh, we were guilty of the sin, God was never the one putting the curse on us. He paid the price to take it off of us. And Jesus bore the curse for us on the cross. Okay, to bear the curse now for us and then to turn around and willfully put the curse back on us would be a house divided. And by Jesus' own word, he tells us a house divided is not going to be able to stand. Now, God gave us a free will. Therefore, when we disobey, the curse is going to come, but it's not God sending it. And so many people will say, well, boy, we're in sin and boy, God just sent that curse on us. That's not true. You need to get that out of your thinking. You need to know God is never going to send the curse on you. Now, the curse is a direct result of sin, not by God's choice. It's just simply because a bad seed cannot produce anything except bad fruit. Now, disobedience is a bad tree, and the curse is the fruit now that comes from the bad seed of disobedience. Now, sometimes people will call it sowing and reaping because what it is we sow, we're going to reap. Now, Satan has to have a right to put the curse on us. A lot of people say, well, that curse just came on our family. No, it didn't just come on the family. Satan has to have a right before he can put a curse on you or anyone in your family. Now, he can't just slap a curse on us because he feels like it. Because the Bible tells us a curse without a cause cannot alight. Okay, now the last part of Proverbs 26, verse 2. This is really important for us to remember. No one is under a curse unless someone opened the door by sinning. If you see a curse on a family, somebody sinned. Either the person or else it was some ancestor up the bloodline. And, and as that curse came down, it brought the consequences. Okay, number three fact. The power behind a curse is always demonic. It's, this never just happened chance. It has power, but it's not godly power. Now, whenever a curse is in operation, we're going to find out that demons are operating. These demons, are they real beings? You know, some people say, you know, demons are just a word that people use it. No, demons are real spiritual beings. And you'll notice in our scripture in Genesis 3, verse 15, that the moment that Satan had, had lured Adam and Eve into sin, the moment that happened, immediately the curse appeared. There was no curses before that. But as soon as Eve sinned, then the curse immediately came. And Satan then had the power to do harm to man. Now remember, God said, and now Satan will bruise man on the hill. So God wasn't giving Satan permission here. God was just simply stating the fact. He was telling what happened because of the sin. Now it was the entry of sin into the world that gave Satan permission then to bring in the curses. You know, when you think about it, if we had failed to sin, we had said, no, we're not going there, Satan would have been tied up and he could not have brought the curse in. Okay, the number four fact, under the Old Testament, there was no remedy for the curse. 
keeping the law and staying in obedience to God, that would protect them from committing the sin that was going to bring the curse. But once they fell for the sin, then they were under the Old Testament. Jesus hadn't died. He hadn't taken it on his own body. And so they were in trouble. But after they sinned under the Old Testament, the law had no power to redeem that person from the curse. They were in trouble. And it says, all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which were written in the book of the law to do them. That's in Galatians 3 verse 10. Okay, now in Galatians 3.10, there was no remedy, no remedy whatsoever for the curse under the Old Testament. Jesus hadn't paid the price, and so they were stuck. They were in trouble in the Old Testament. Okay, now let me give you a really good example of that. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now that was a direct disobedience to God's command. Now since the fall of man, we said that there has been a law of sowing and reaping. In other words, whatever a person sows, the Bible says we'll reap. Anything that would bring evil consequences on us is forbidden by God. And the reason he forbids those things is not because he's just trying to give us a problem. It's because he knows that it's going to bring a curse on us and he's trying to protect us. Everything God does is trying to protect us from the evil that is there, that's obviously there, and he's trying to protect us from it. Therefore, he forbids certain things in order to keep us from receiving the consequences. God doesn't want us uh, receiving any of the consequences, and he knows what will come because of it. Now, God in his love is trying to spare us from what he knows is going to happen to us if we get into sin. And that's why God said in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not murder, and thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, David was disobedient to both of these commandments. He committed the sexual impurity. Now, he committed that with Bathsheba, and then he had Uriah killed, trying to get rid of the guilt that he had. Now, God is trying so hard to spare us the pain that will come as a result of our disobedience. And he knows that pain is going to come, just like it did uh, on, on David. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, in verse 9, Nathan, the prophet, came to David after he had committed adultery, he had committed murder. Nathan came and he said, why have you done this thing? Why have you done this thing? David, why did you do this uh, against God's commandment? Now look what you've brought on yourself. And then he tells him what the curse is going to be. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 10 and 12, he said, the sword is not going to depart from your house. The sword is going to be on your house forever. And he said, also, one of your own household will lie with your wives. And he said, you brought this on yourself. And he said, I, I can't imagine why you did this to yourself. Now, God had no choice except to allow the curse to come anytime we disobey. He, he has no choice in that because Jesus had not yet shed his blood to redeem us from the curse back under the Old Testament. Now, David had chosen evil. Therefore, the curse now was inevitable. And even though David repented in verse 13, he didn't die. It should have brought death to him after what he had done, but he didn't die. God, God spared him. But the old covenant didn't provide redemption from the curse of sin. So we find Nathan now, he, he's right here. He's forbidding and foretelling what's going to happen and telling David, there's nothing I can do to forbid it. And it did happen in 2 Samuel verse 16 through David's son Absalom. If you remember, David had said, one of your own household, and this was going to come through Absalom, 
uh, David's son. He said, before your very eyes, during their lifetime, he's going to lie with your wives in broad daylight. And sure enough, he did. He pitched a tent on the roof in front of all Israel, and he committed, committed adultery with all of David's wives. And you think, what a humiliation. I can't even imagine what David was going through when that went on. Now, God knows the pain that the curse is going to bring, and that's why he tries with everything in his being to spare us. He's continually telling us what the results will be, and he's warning us constantly. Now, David had had Uriah killed, so there was also the curse of murder on, on David. Now, Nathan foretold that the sword would not depart from David's house. And that's why Nathan's first words to David were, David, why did you do this? Look what you've done to yourself. Because David is the one that brought it on. Now, notice how the curse that goes down the bloodline is always of like nature to the sin itself. In other words, when someone commits adultery, you're going to find that the adultery is, is the seed now of the process that came. Okay, see, the sin of lust and adultery in David's life with Bathsheba brought a curse of lust and spiritual adultery to his children. The sexual immorality was obvious in the life of his son Absalom. You know, we just read what all he did. Also, the life of David's son Amnon, who raped his own half-sister. You can see that curse on him. And then you can look at the curse of lust on David's son Solomon. It caused him to disobey God and take in hundreds of foreign women. Now, these are classic examples of the sexual immorality now, curses that were handed down from one generation to the next. And David's sin of murder also brought the curse of murder and hatred and bloodshed on his descendants. This was obvious when Absalom later had his own half-brother, Amnon, killed after Amnon had, had raped his uh, sister Tamar. So we see those two curses coming on the family from practically all of his children. Now, most of the grief we see in the life of King David was over the curses that manifested in the lives of his children. David loved God and he served God, but he, he, even that couldn't hold the curses back because it was already set in motion and Christ had not died on the cross at this point. They were opened up. There was nothing that could be done. Yet in spite of all the Old Testament warnings, so many people think, well, you know, I just have this one area of sin, but it's not that much. I, I live a good life most of the time, so what's this going to hurt? Nobody's going to know. Listen, the enemy knows, and he's the only one that has to know. Of course, God knows too, and he does everything he can to prevent the problems that we're going to have. But the enemy knows, and the same enemy to tempts us waits for an open door now to get to our children, to get to our descendants. And when that happens, you're going to find out that innocent descendants suffer. Now, it doesn't seem fair, but sin and the consequences of sin and Satan, they never have played fair, never have. So we have to see it in the Word of God and then make up our mind, do I want that or do I want to stay pure? Do I want to live as the Bible teaches me to live? And that's why we need to heed God's warning and need to do it his way because this is not just for our own sake, but it's for the sake of all of our descendants. We're putting a protection over those that will be born into our households. Okay, now James 4.4 tells us that whoever wishes to be a friend to the world is going to make himself an enemy to God. So our choices either make us a friend of God or an enemy to God. Now, when there is a yearning inside of us to live like the world lives, then we're going to find out that that is a wide open door to the curse to stay on us. Okay, the number five fact about curses, 
this is the good news. You know, uh, I'm going to give you the good news, and then I'm going to give you the conditions for receiving the good news. The good news first, under the New Testament, in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. You know, sometimes we just read that and we don't pay that much attention to it. But when Christ died so that we could be redeemed from the curse of the law, we don't really realize what that did for us. We should be jumping up and down and clapping when we read that. We're not under the power of sin's curse any longer unless we just choose it and, and choose to be disobedient. You need to put a marker in Galatians 3.13 because it says that Christ literally redeemed us from the curse that they lived under in the Old Testament. You need to memorize that and say it over and over. Say it until it soaks in and you realize we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Make it personal. Christ redeemed me from the curse. God knew that we weren't going to be able to keep the whole law. He knew that. And he was constantly pointing the people under the Old Testament to the time when there was going to be a new covenant brought about then uh, through the blood of Jesus. And constantly through the Old Testament, that was being pointed to because that was going to be such a redemptive thing that the people under the Old Covenant, they knew what a blessing that was going to be. Now that was the time when man was set free, not because of his own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus. He took that curse for us. And Galatians 3.13 is our lifeline because finally... We have a remedy for not only sin, but praise God, we also have a remedy for the curse that was set in motion because of the sin. Now, today, no one has to remain under the curse. They didn't really have that choice in the Old Testament. But today, no one has to remain under the curse that came down through our ancestors. Now, most of us have for years remained under the curse because we just haven't known that there was anything we could do about it. So many people are in disobedience to the law because they don't know the truth. They haven't studied the word enough to know that, praise God, we've been redeemed from the curse. But we don't have to stay there if we, if we just know the truth. Now, that's the good news. Even the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, he prophesied that there was going to be a new covenant coming. And when the new covenant came, that curse wouldn't have to be passed down to the children any longer. And, you know, we read that in Jeremiah, and many times we don't realize what a miracle that was. You know, we'd be jumping up and down and clapping if we thought about it. Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah 31, 29 through 31, that under the new covenant, they were going to be redeemed and every man would be responsible for his own sin. And it would be the father's own teeth that would be set on edge when he ate the sour grapes. See, under the Old Testament, it said when the father ate the sour grapes, that the children's teeth would be set on edge. But now under the new covenant, he said now it's going to be the father's own teeth set on edge when he sins. But it's not going to pass down to his children. Okay, now we're living under the new covenant that was prophesied and it has been consummated by the blood of Jesus. But we have to appropriate it. And even when we say that uh, the father's sin is not going to set the teeth on edge for the children, the children still have to accept it. They have to put it into motion. See, these, these promises are not automatic. They're something that we have to realize. We have to learn it and say, whoa, this is a wonderful promise God has given me, but I have to appropriate it. I have to do something to bring it about. Now, the benefit of the new covenant is not based on what we can do for ourselves. It's based on what Jesus did for us because he took the curse for us. And that's the good news. 
And so we ask, need to ask ourselves and get into the Word, how then do we receive the blessing? And, well, when you start studying what Christ did and you start appropriating it, you're going to cut the curses off that they lived under all through the Old Testament. Okay, the number six fact, redemption from the curse, it's not automatic. And that's why you see so many Christians still living under the curse. In fact, uh, it's sad to say, but most Christians in the New Testament churches, they haven't studied the word enough to even know that they've been redeemed from the curse. We can't just become a Christian and sit back and automatically have every curse broken off of us or broken off of our family. We do have the main part to play. We have to appropriate the redemption that Christ provided. He's provided it. It's like he's offering a gift, but we're going to have to reach out and, and take that gift. And there's things we have to do to take the gift. For example, sickness is a part of the curse. It says that every sickness and every disease is a part of the curse, Deuteronomy 28, verse 61. But then we have to couple that with Galatians 3.13. But Christ redeemed us from that curse. But so many people say, oh, we haven't been redeemed from sickness. Look at all the Christians, and look, they're always getting sick. Yes, Christians are always getting sick. And do you know why so many Christians get sick? They don't know we've been redeemed from the curse. They just don't know it. They don't know to appropriate that. And if we don't get in the Word and find out what the promises are, I mean, we're going to take everything that comes along. And that's why it is so important for us to get into the Word and find out what has been accomplished for us. Now, you've probably heard it a, a hundred times, and I have too, but we have to come to a place where we realize that sickness is under the curse. We've been redeemed from the curse. We don't have to be sick if we appropriate this promise. And so they scoff at the idea of being redeemed from the curses of sickness. They scoff at the, at the uh, idea that they're redeemed from poverty. And they just, well, everybody's in poverty. You know, everybody's had sickness. Yes, everybody has, but it's because we haven't appropriated what Christ has done. But I want you to notice, Christ also purchased our right to be free from every sin. That's our right as Christians. But how many of us take that right and say, no, Lord, I don't have to sin. I don't have to make that choice. I've been redeemed. But that's also not automatic. <clears throat> but you never hear people say, we're not redeemed from sin because look at all the Christians who are still sinning. And we can say that. But that doesn't mean we don't have an escape if we want to take it. Now, I haven't lived totally free from sin, but I still have a right to it. If I want to make the effort to say, no, Lord, I don't want the curse on me, so I'm going to choose not to sin. I'm going to choose to do it right. See, Jesus bought that right. He redeemed every one of us from sin, but we have to appropriate it. I haven't lived totally free from sickness or totally free from uh, poverty. I haven't lived totally free from calamity, but it's not the fault of the word. It's because I haven't appropriated it. There was a long time I didn't even know that it was there. But now that we know it, we can live in health if we take the word of God and we start appropriating it. You know, because we have a right to be free. Jesus had paid a terrible price to be able to give us this right, to give us the freedom. But I have a part to play. And Jesus has redeemed us now. He's redeemed us from sickness. He's redeemed us from disease. He's redeemed us from sin. He's redeemed us from the plague. He's redeemed us from calamity and poverty and failure and dread. He's redeemed us from all of these things, and it's right there in the New Testament. 
but we're going to have to come to the place where we say, Lord, I want that. And it's worth it to me to do whatever it takes to appropriate what Christ has made possible. Now, everything listed under the curse in Deuteronomy 28, because we're free not to have to have that because Jesus purchased our right to be free from every single one of those curses. And really, when I say that, every one of us should be clapping and dancing and, you know, just rejoicing. You know, do we even stop to realize what that's saying to us? Do you even stop to realize what a miracle this is that God did for us? And he told us about it in the Old Testament, and he certainly told us about it in the New Testament. But so many times we just read past it and we don't even see it with our eyes. We don't see it with our heart. And when we choose life and blessing, though, we're, what we're doing, we're breaking that curse not only off of us, but we're breaking that curse from being handed down to our, our children. So many times we're handing things down to our children and they haven't committed sin, but we haven't stopped to realize that the New Testament has given us that right. But we've got to take it. We've got to put it to work. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, I have placed before you life and death, blessing and cursing. So choose life and blessing in order that you and your descendants might live. Do, do we even take that into consideration that that is saying in Deuteronomy 30, 19, he said, here's life and here's death. Here's blessing. Here's cursing. Make the choice. Which one do you want? You know, but sometimes we just read right past that and we don't realize what a gift God is offering to us. And so how do we choose? Okay, I'm going to end with five very simple but very effective steps in dealing now with the family curses. Number one, we need to recognize it. So many times we just say, well, everybody gets sick every once in a while. You know, everybody has poverty every once in a while. But we need to recognize that that's a curse that Christ has redeemed us from. You know, uh, some don't recognize that they're even under a curse. It's been so commonplace to them that they just live with it. They don't think anything about it. And you're never going to deal with anything as long as you're tolerating it, as long as you're putting up with it or ignoring it. Sometimes we just, oh, I just have a cold, you know. Oh, my goodness, my aunt got cancer. I hate that, you know. But we're not realizing we can walk free of these things. Uh, and we're allowing ourselves many times to be, stay ignorant of what God has provided for us, what he's given to us. Now, we cannot afford to listen to the world because the world says, oh, everybody's going to deal with something. You know, that, that's just your lot in life. So just hold your head up and do the best you can. You, and you can't afford not to, you just can't listen to some of these people that are telling you don't, don't have to walk in that. But it's the word. It's the word. Do we believe the word? You're never going to get rid of the curse that you subconsciously tolerate. And most of the time, I find Christians tolerating things that come under the curse, even though Galatians 3.13 says you've been redeemed from the curse. You no longer have to walk there. Now, there are some questions that you can ask yourself to see if it's the curse you're dealing with. First of all, you need to ask yourself, have I seen this same harassment in the lives of past relatives? You need to look back at your family bloodline and say, has that happened with my aunts, with my grandparents? Have I seen this before? Now, I got permission to tell this story, but I worked with one family. Nothing had manifested at this point in their immediate children, but they felt like God told them, get a step ahead of this, get a step ahead of the enemy because of the curse they saw working in their ancestors. This is a true story. They went to our church. Uh, Great Anne had been mentally ill before, 
And they did a frontal lobotomy that was performed uh, to stop the torment that she was in. I don't even know whether they still do lobotomy anymore. I don't know. But anyway, they did that for her. But the same year, the nephew to that aunt started showing signs of very strange behavior. He was 16 at the time. He got steadily worse until he was 21 when he died suddenly. Now, the couple went to our church, but these relatives, they came and told us about the relatives. Now, the year that he died, this family sister, who had been five at the time of the boy's death, she became mentally ill, and she underwent all kinds of treatments, you know, through the years with no improvement. Now, they never went God's way, but they were doing everything they knew in the natural. Now, even though the family called me, and they couldn't see anything that had come on their children at this point. They had three children. But they felt like God was saying, this is a curse, so put a stop to it, because it's a horrible curse that's coming down your family bloodline. She said that the Lord spoke to her and said, you know the truth, so don't let it go any further. And so many times, God is telling us things. He's saying, you know. You know what to do. Now put it to work. See, when the world hears a story like this one, they say, oh, it's just bad genes in the family. Well, perhaps it is bad genes, but we need to realize sometimes that may be the way that the curse is traveling down, maybe through the genes. Now, you're going to be surprised how many things you pick up that you'll find listed right here under the curses. And in Deuteronomy 28, if you have something happening to you, look, and it'll be listed right there in Deuteronomy 28, and it'll tell you that it's the curse. Years ago, after I had gone through some deliverance, I was still plagued with now having a really hard time facing the day every morning. I'd wake up and I just dreaded the day. Now, as the day went on, I was fine. It started getting nighttime and I would start almost panicking. I'd, I'd, I had, would get nervous and, and I dreaded the night. Then, as soon as the sun began to go down, I'd get okay again. But I just kept fighting that depression in the early morning and late afternoon. And I kept thinking, Lord, what on earth is wrong with me? Why does it come on me twice a day? Now, I had learned ways of living with it. I'd gotten where I'd get out and take a walk or I'd sing or I'd do something. So I was learning to live with it, but it was still miserable. Well, one day, by accident, I thought, I just happened to be reading my Bible and I read Deuteronomy 28, verse 67. And that verse 67 just jumped off the page because the, the curse was in the morning, you're going to say, oh, I wish it were evening. And then in the evening, you'll say, oh, I wish it were morning. And I thought, that's exactly what I've been going through, exactly. And I thought, Lord, that's a curse that I've been putting up with. And it was like just a light turned on. And so, because I would dread the day in the morning, and then I'd dread the night when night came. Well, I realized that I was dealing with a curse. And so I started praying and standing against it and got absolutely, totally free. I mean, it was like God just reached down and just picked it off of me. And I can't tell you how good it was now the first few times when I'd wake up in the morning and really be just excited about the day, you know. And I said, God, I had no idea this was a curse. How many people are living with this and they don't even know it, you know. Now, there were a few days that I would wake up and I would start having fears. And I thought, oh, no, is it coming back? And the Lord told me, this is not the curse of dread that you're experiencing now. You're in fear that it might come back, take authority over the fear. So sometimes it's not even the curse. Sometimes it's the fear of something happening, and we have to deal with that fear. And remember that fear has to be dealt with because fear is Satan's calling card. You know, have you ever seen somebody walk up and they hand you their calling card? 
and you decide, you look at that, and you decide whether you're going to invite them in, you know, whether you're going to talk to them. Well, that's exactly what Satan's doing. He hands us a calling card, and we look at it, and sometimes we don't even look at it. We just invite him right in. So don't fall for it. Don't take his calling card. I had to spiritually stomp my foot and start quoting scripture and saying, no, in the name of Jesus, I'm not putting up with it. And you're going to find there's going to be things because Satan doesn't give up easily. He'll offer you a part of the curse. And the easiest thing in the world you can do is to take it in. And sometimes it's really hard to stomp your foot and say, this is a curse and I'm not going to receive it because you're feeling it. You, you feel the curse. Many, many sicknesses and diseases and plagues are described in detail now in that list of demon curses in Deuteronomy 28. And then when you go on down and you read verse 61, it says every sickness and every disease, even the ones that are not written in the book, are a part of the curse. Okay, so he's saying it's all a part of the curse, even the ones that I didn't list out here in the book. Now, there's a curse of poverty. Now, I'm not talking about an occasional not having quite enough money. That's not what I'm talking about. But you've seen families that are poor, and they, no matter what they do, they can't seem to come out from under it. Nothing seemed to happen the natural, you know. They, they've had lack all of their lives. They have poor buying habits. They make poor judgments financially. And they just have bad breaks, you know. Nothing ever works financially for them. Okay, that's a curse of poverty. And it's not going to come off uh, until somebody prays for them or when they see it and they say, no, this is a curse and I'm not receiving it. Or maybe there'll be a thought in your mind that keeps saying, I can't, you know, no matter how hard I try, it just seems like I'm doing my very best and I always fail. I'm never successful. Others do these things so easily, but it's just not easy for me. Well, if you'll look back, you'll probably see that it's hereditary and you'll probably see it in some of your ancestors that they were plagued with the same kind of, of defeated thoughts. Okay, that's a curse of fear of failure. And I see this, this curse on so many people in the body of Christ. When we were pastoring, you could, after you got to know your congregation, you could look out and you knew the ones who had this curse on them. So the first step is just to recognize it and then acknowledge it and say, Lord, this is a curse. And I want to find out exactly what I'm supposed to do because I want it off of me. Okay, the number two step for breaking that generational curse is to decide that you want rid of it. Sometimes it's just easier to put up with it, or some people think it is. Now, I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, because who wouldn't want to be rid of a curse? But I've been guilty of convincing myself for years that I hated something and wanted rid of it, convinced that I was in earnest, and yet it would keep hanging on. And then finally, maybe years later, I would become fed up, and something inside would break off of me, and the deliverance would suddenly be there. Now, I've shared this before, but for years, I had nightmares. My family teased me uh, as, a, as even as a kid, I had nightmares. They would tease me, you know, what, what did you do last night, you know? Well, I had begged God for deliverance, and you could never have made me believe that I wasn't sincere about wanting deliverance and hating what I was going through. But one day, something happened that made Jack think those nightmares were a subconscious lashing out at him. And even though I knew that wasn't true... I, I knew there was nothing in me lashing out at him, but I also knew that if he thought it was, it was going to do da damage to our relationship. So for the very first time, I really did get sincere. I got serious. Some people would say I was dead serious because I was. And when he left for work that morning, it was uh, well before sunup, 
he was working a uh, rotating shift. He was on the night shift, and it was 4 a.m. when he left. And I took off when he left. I ran outside, and I ran through the pasture. I was, I was desperate. I had to hear God. And I was determined that I was not going to go back into the house until I got an answer from God, until I got this thing off of me. Well, God showed me the root cause uh, of those nightmares, and he showed me what I was going to have to do to get it broken. Well, I had never, uh, after I got it off, I, I never had another, another nightmare. Now, I may have had a bad dream occasionally, but it was a never another one of those nightmares. Now, in a moment, I'm going to tell you what the root of that problem was that the Lord showed me. But I want to tell you some things first. There are things in our life that we think we hate. You know, there's, there's times that I think, oh, I don't like what I'm doing here. I hate this thing. But we have to hate that curse more than we love the area of flesh that it's feeding. And oftentimes, we're fooling ourselves when we think, oh, I'm doing everything that I know to do. And I remind myself often of the story of the grandfather who took his little grandson fishing. And the grandson asked the grandfather, what does it take to please God? What do I have to do to please God? And the grandfather grabbed the little boy and he shoved him under the water and he held him there while the little boy was just kicking frantically trying to get loose. Well, finally, the old man brought him up out of the water and he said, son, when you want to please God as much as you wanted that next breath of air, then you're going to find the way how, how to do it. And that's exactly what happens to us. We fool ourselves too often into thinking that we're really serious. But if it gets serious enough with us, then we'll say, wait, maybe I haven't been serious. It got serious enough with me when I thought Jack was going to think I was doing that on purpose. Now, I can or think I was doing it subconsciously because I didn't love him. Now, I can say uh, about deliverance from the curse that when we want deliverance as much as we want that next breath of air, we're going to be in a position then to hear from God what it is that's hindering it. But sometimes we have to come to a place where we want it with every fiber of our being. And when I got serious about those nightmares, God showed me that the root of the problem was fear that caused me to get into overprotection. And in every one of those dreams, all of a sudden, I hadn't remembered the dreams, and suddenly God just opened my mind, and I remembered those nightmares. I was many times jerking Jack out of a sound sleep, and sometimes in my panic, I would scratch him. One time I blacked his eye. So no wonder he thought that it was hidden animosity. You know, it's no wonder he thought that. You know, because in his shoes, I realized that I would have thought the same thing. But when I got serious about wanting to be free, God showed me that in every one of those dreams, he was in the pathway maybe of an oncoming car, and he didn't see the car, and I was trying to jerk him out of the way. One time a train was coming, and I had to shove him to get him out of the pathway of the train. There were times when a snake would be coiled, ready to strike, and I was pulling him out of the way. Or one time the house was on fire, and you know I, I was trying to get him to hear me, and I was jerking on him, saying, the house is on fire, get out of the way. So I was trying to get his attention. Well, when I saw the root of the problem, it was fear and overprotection, mainly overprotection and lack of trust. And when I saw that, suddenly the back of that thing was broken and that curse was gone. Never came back, not even one time. Remember the story of Jesus cursing the fig tree. That tells us a lot. There was a message in that story beyond what meets the eye. There's an analogy here. Jesus was cursing something 
that was not bringing forth good fruit. That's a representation now of the things in our lives that are not fruitful. Curses are not good fruit. That fig tree represented two sight realms. One sight realm was the area that could be seen above the ground and the unseen area below the ground of the root system. And those curses in our lives also include the same two realms. The realm that we see, in other words, the results of, of the curse. The sickness or the poverty or the rejection or whatever it is that's manifesting, that's what we see. That's what's above the ground, what we see. But that curse also includes that which is we can't see, that thing that's below the ground, the unseen realm. And that's what is causing the curse. Well, when Jesus cursed the fig tree, it died at the roots. It died in the place from which it was getting its life. Okay, that's important. To remove a curse, we have to cut it off at the roots. We have to remove now the cause, remove the place where it's getting its life. And that's what makes deliverance and inner healing work because it takes disassociating ourselves from whatever it is that's feeding that sick need inside of us. And most all of us have a sick need inside of us. And it, and it has to be dealt with. It has to be recognized and then allow God to show us how to remove it. I knew this girl who had a stronghold in her life that needed to be broken. And every time someone would confront her with the truth, she had another friend who was always sympathizing with her. And that friend would say, they don't know what they're talking about. This doesn't, you don't need to change in this area. There's nothing really wrong. It's not that bad. And I call that patting somebody's flesh. And sometimes when we keep them from going on and getting the deliverance they need, we're patting their flesh. And the Bible says that the flesh brings death. Now this friend, so-called friend, would take her side and sympathize until uh, you know, self-will, self-pity take over and, and finally won the battle. And we have to be willing to hear the truth. Now, for some, it may be the need for attention that perpetuates the curse. For others, it may be just a need to be needed. We need people to, to want to need us. But when anything other than our relationship with Jesus is sustaining us, if anything else is doing it, it's feeding something in our flesh, and it's going to keep us in the place of the curse. And that thing has to be found, it has to be renounced, and God's willing to show us, you know, when we're ready to know. Okay, number three, repentance. Since the curse came in through the doorway of somebody's sin, we're going to find out that true repentance is the only thing that's going to close that door. Now, repentance means turning away from the sin and turning back to God and doing it His way. Now, we need to break that curse in the name of Jesus, and we need to break it back through the generations. Because many times it's been a generational thing that's been handed down. Now, God may or may not show you the sin that was committed, but whether you know the exact sin or not, John 20, 23 is something you need to mark in your Bible because it says the sins you forgive will be forgiven, but the sins you retain will be retained. And sometimes we have ancestors or maybe someone, people that are living with us today, and they need to have their sins forgiven so that they can suddenly realize Oh, I didn't realize that I was doing this. And when you forgive their sin, sometimes it frees them to be able to hear the truth. Now, we often retain sins in our family by just continuing in the curse, often out of ignorance. But once we understand curses, we know that the sin barrier has to be broken. If you have living relatives through which the curse has been operating, you need to forgive them 
And God will start showing you. You forgive them for selfishness. You forgive them for the pain that they're inflicting on their descendants. You know, you see that. And a lot of times you're just angry with them. But instead of being angry, God's going to use you to forgive that sin. Forgive them for their ignorance of the world. Forgive them for their rebellion toward God. You know, choose to do that. Then repent for yourself. Now, I'm, I'm talking true repentance from the heart where you're truly sorrowful before God. Because, see, the last two decades have been the decade of the teacher. And the biblical knowledge has literally pour, been poured out on the earth. So we need to repent for spiritual laziness. You know, sometimes we're knowing things to do and we're not doing it. Repent for not living in God's highest. Okay, what if there are curses coming down through your mate? You know, a lot of people have to, once they get married, they have to realize you have curses handed down in your family bloodline. Your, your mate also does. Well, you can't make the right choices for somebody else, but you can forgive them daily. You don't necessarily have to do it in front of them, but plead the blood of Jesus over them. Plead the blood of Jesus over that sin that you see operating because all the counseling in the world is not going to help until it's coupled with repentance and deliverance and discipline. And you'll be surprised when you start forgiving that mate or that friend, whoever it might be, you're going to be surprised how many times you'll start seeing changes come in their life. Now, James 4 verse 4 is a pull toward the pleasures of this world. And that's an iniquity curse. And it says that when that happens, there is a bent and a leaning toward a certain sin. Okay, have you ever seen a, a tree that's grown and it's bent completely over? We have several on our, in our pasture. And they're big trees, but they're bent over. And if you saw it when it was a young sapling, something, either the wind or something, kept blowing on it until it, it stayed in that position, until it got bigger and, and it stayed there. Okay, when you feel yourself being pulled toward something, remember that sin is a bent and leaning toward a certain sin. When you start feeling yourself being pulled toward a certain thing that's not right, then instantly repent. Because it'll be like that tree. Once you, it's bent long enough, it'll stay in that position. You don't want that in your life. So when you feel yourself being pulled in a certain direction, repent and turn. Stop that, that bent and leaning toward a certain sin. Stop it. And then we'll find out that the pleasure of God so far exceeds the pleasures of the world. Okay, number four, cut a covenant with God about your situation. You know, let me give you an example of, of a covenant. Sometimes you have to just write this out and, and God will give it to you and write it out and, and read it often. Father, I thank you that you've given us a free will and we choose right now to believe you and obey your word. Thank you that according to Galatians 3.13, our entire household is redeemed from the curse because Jesus took the curse for us. And then start naming what you're believing God to take off of you and what you're believing God to take off of your family. And start quoting some of the scriptures from Psalm 91. That's your covenant. I apply the shed blood of Jesus and where the blood is, the destroyer is not able to come in. Put all these, these promises in your covenant. The curse of Deuteronomy 28, 41 is broken, and our children will never go into the captivity of the enemy. We're training our children the ways of the Lord, and you have promised that they will not depart from it. And in addition now to our training, you have promised that in Isaiah 54, verse 13, that you are disciplining our children. If we make a covenant that you're believing God to disciple your children. 
if someone is your disciple, then that's wonderful if they're discipling them in the right direction. But when you're asking God to be the one to disciple them, it makes all the difference. Lord, they will always stay in the pathway of truth. So we receive that promise and we thank you for it. Satan will never be able to steal that from them. These are the confessions you're making over your child every day or your friend or whoever it is. And we will not waver from that promise. Not only we as parents, but as our children grow up, they too will believe and walk in the redemption from the curse. Because as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord forever. Enjoy all the benefits of our close relationship with you, Lord. And therefore, no weapon that's formed against us is going to prosper. And every tongue that accuses us is going to be shown in the wrong. Okay, that's a sample. You can put any scripture promises you want in your covenant. But pray that covenant over Maybe if you're working with a friend, you do it for each other. Later with your family, a spouse, you'll do it for your children. You can be as specific as you want to be with every single promise you find in the Word of God. Pray and let the Holy Spirit guide you in finding the exact Scripture promises, you know, that meet your need. And then write out that covenant and read it until you believe it. I read one covenant, and I thought I was believing it, but it, it was actually a year until one day it literally snapped on the inside of me, and it became real. It, it became alive. Now, some curses seem to disappear the moment they're exposed, kind of like when, when I, I got that word from God about the nightmares. I never had to deal with that again. But there's others that are going to be hanging on stubbornly. When that happens, you need to write out a covenant and read it until that thing's broken. And every time you read that covenant, you're axing at the root now of that curse. Now, if you won't give up, you'll finally win because the, the sword of God's word is sharper than any weapon that has ever been formed against you. And then number five, apply the blood. It's the shed blood of Jesus now that makes this possible. Otherwise, there would be no hope. But it's not the shed blood that changes your situation. It's the applied blood. There's a lot of promises, and we think, oh, that's a promise from God, but it's not going to do us any good until we start applying it. And Jesus shed his blood for all sinners, but not all sinners are going to be saved because that blood has to be applied. Only those who receive and apply it are going to have their sins removed. Now, don't let it become a meaningless ritual because sometimes it's easy just to say things, and it just... We're just saying it and we're just taking up words. But put a blood covering over every individual that you care about, every member of your family, all your friends, and say no curse is going to be able to stand in the presence of the blood. Where the blood is, the enemy has to flee. And when you recognize a family curse, begin to confess, according to Galatians 3.13, I'm redeemed from that curse. And the power of the blood is absolutely going to set us free. Okay, so these are five simple steps toward breaking the curse, kind of like breaking a stronghold. Number one, you recognize the curse. We gave you the steps for that. Number two, you hate it, and you, you don't put up with it. You want rid of it with every fiber of your being. You're not going to tolerate it. Number three, you repent. You stop the sin and uh, close the door to that curse. Number four, you realize Galatians 13 is the truth, that Christ has redeemed you from the curse if you receive it. It's real, it's powerful, it's true. And come into covenant relationship with the Lord. And then number five, speak the blood over that curse and choose to believe that it's done, that it's accomplished. We don't have to live in the mystery of past sins. 
Now, in the Old Testament, they did many times, but we don't have to. We don't have to live in the covering of those past curses. So the next time you see something in your family history that the world calls hereditary, don't dare say, well, we just have heart disease in our family. There's nothing we can do about it. We just have fear of failure. You know, I hate it. Don't dare say that. You have a new blood covenant. Apply the steps that we talked about today and determine God gave you those steps so you get set free. We don't have to put up with what the world puts up with. We literally, the ones in this group, literally could put this to work and break every curse off yourself and walk in freedom that we, you know, we don't even realize it exists because we haven't walked in enough. But it's there. It's possible. It's available. And God wants it for us. Father, I thank you that you have redeemed us from the curse. But we do have to apply it. We have to put it into practice and see it come to pass. Father, I pray that you'll make this just explode on the inside of each one of us. I don't think there's anyone here tonight that doesn't know these things. These are not new things. But Father, so many times we just haven't put them into practice every single day. I pray that you'll convict our hearts until every day we will put all of these wonderful promises into the center of our life. We'll, we'll believe them. We'll walk in it. We'll confess it and thank you for it, and see the victory. Sometimes we have to stand for a little while if we've been, if we've been living outside uh, of this protection. But Father, it's so worth it because you're wanting us to come in. You're wanting us to see these answers. And we just want to say thank you, Lord. We want to fall on our face before you and say, Lord, thank you that you have made deliverance and you've made this protection and you've made these miracles available to every single one of your children. Oh, God, we can't even imagine a God that loves us this much, that died to make these things possible. But, Lord, we do say thank you. We love you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name.